0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 291, Cardassians.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we
0: examine an episode of Star Trek, picking it apart for morals, messages, and meanings,
1: and seeing whether the whole thing holds up to the test of time. This week, Cardassians. This is the episode of Deep Space Nine with Cardassians, and you won't see many of those John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discovered Documents, is at MissionLogPodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, John, correct me if I'm wrong. uh, This is the first time that we've actually seen Cardassians.
0: Yeah, so weird, right? I mean, uh, there's been so much talk of them. I, I feel like even ever since TNG...
1: I believe it was Mark Twain who said, everybody talks about Cardassians, but nobody ever does anything.
0: Mm. <laughs> it was. It was Mark Twain. Yeah. In, pretty sure. uh, yeah. Time's Arrow, part one. Time Zero,
1: and Right. Mm-hmm. And we we're all like, what is he talking about? Cardassians? We won't see them for like 400 years, 500 yeah. years, maybe yeah. 700, not, a thousand <laughs> years from now, maybe. Or maybe it only felt like that. Hey, um, I assume that there is trivia tied to this episode, John.
0: Oh, we got trivia, not just about Cardassians. Although in this episode, it'll just be about Cardassians, because this is the episode called Cardassians. So the story was written by Gene Woland and John Wright. A couple of brand new names for us. Gene is actually more known as an actor... This episode is one of three writing credits he has, but he turns up as an actor in L.A. Confidential, Weird Science, a TV show, and had a recurring role on Carnival. John's production credits begin and end here. This episode is his sole professional credit in TV or film. The teleplay was by James Crocker, and here's another new name for us. Though James's ties to DS9 run a little deeper... He had a number of credits as a writer and producer on genre shows, uh, Lois and Clark, uh, the 1980s version of The Twilight Zone, Max Headroom, and more. He was brought in as a supervising producer at the beginning of Season 2 of DS9, and this is the first of five episodes where he gets a story or a teleplay credit. Now, we need to give credit here, though, to Ira Stephen Bear, uh, as we really should keep in mind for any episode of DS9, either Ira or Michael Piller's hands uh, are definitely going to be in it. Early on, as soon as we met Garrick, the producers of DS9 knew that they wanted to bring the character back, but they didn't really know how, except that any return appearance had to be justified. It was Ira who pushed this story along and made sure that Garrick's role was expanded and important to the plot, and also established a link between him and Gul Yes, Ira's playing the long game here, and yes, we know this, those of you who write and excited about all the things that will come in future episodes. This episode was directed by Cliff Bull, veteran Trek director, of course, and we most recently covered his DS9 work in Dramatis Personae. Terek Nor, Hey, remember that. Remember it, can Tarek Nor? Now, we knew the Cardassians didn't call DS9 DS9, just like people in Japan don't call it Japan, or Germans don't call it Germany, or, or Canadians don't call it Canadian bacon. Tarek Nor is what the Cardassians called DS9 when it was theirs, and that is a really good trivia question for me to tuck away for future use. Well, let's talk about guest stars. Welcome back to Rosalind Chow as Keiko, Andrew Robinson as Garrick, Mark Alimo as Gul Dukat. Joining them this week in significant roles are Robert Mandan as Padar. I cannot believe this one got past me. Uh, how about you, Ken? Did you when you watched this episode, did you go, "Oh, yeah, that, that's that's Robert
1: Manden"? And I did not. I knew he was somebody that I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew he was somebody that I should know who he was, and then come to find out, he's Hester Pate.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's a very good. Also known as. Chester Tate. Yes, he was unrecognizable in this, but he is so recognizable as an actor. So he is probably best known as the head of the Tate family on Soap. But that is just one among many shows that he was on. Uh, 3D's Company, you can't have that without 3D's A Crowd. (laughs) Private Benjamin, the TV show. Heck, he was on The Love Boat six times because of course he was. And he passed away in April of 2018, and this is his only Trek appearance. We have Terrence Evans playing Proka, another actor with a very long resume dating back to the early 70s. We actually met him briefly in the DS9 episode Progress, or Progress, or Progress. And he'll be back for one more in Voyager. We mentioned before that one of the roles he's best known for is Monty and Old Monty in the 2000s versions of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
1: Forgive me. Forgive mm-hmm. me. Proka. Now, I don't remember that name in the show. Was he the dabo player? <laughs> no,
0: no, he, he is not the dabo player. Zolan uh, is the dabo player.
1: Okay. Which one's Proka? Proka is, uh, is Rugal's father. Oh, okay. The uh, Rugal's the father. The other father. The Bajoran father. The Bajoran All father. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. My bad. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now, Dion Anderson, quick appearance here is the alien Zolan. He, he's playing uh, Dabo. It's his only track appearance, but he pops up in film and TV from the early 80s to the early 2000s, recurring roles on Ellie LA Law, Townies, Diagnosis Murder, and Family Law. And finally, we have Vidal Peterson as Rugal. Now, he has been in Trek before. He was in Unification 2 as Tan, the idealistic Romulan and friend of Spock. His professional acting credits end with this episode, but the bulk of his work was in early 80s and 90s TV, including a very memorable role as The Elder, recurring on Mork and Mendy.
1: Dude. Prologue. Dr. Bashir is having a friendly tea with plain, simple Garrick. Bashir is still convinced that Garrick is a spy, though Garrick pretty much argues that he isn't. Pretty much. This tete tete interrupted by the arrival of a middle aged Bajoran man and a teenaged Cardassian boy together. Garrick goes over to address the boy, who bites Garrick's hand hard in response. The young Cardassian rushes into the arms of his Bajoran chaperone as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. The altercation between the Cardassian kid and Garrick made Bashir late for his senior staff meeting, though he's forgiven when he tells his story. The kid says the Bajoran he's with is his father. Makes sense to Major Kira. Lots of orphaned Cardassian kids were looked after by Bajorans. All of this interrupted by a call to Commander Sisko from Gul Dukat. He's heard of the attack, and says it's just as he feared, just as he's warned his government Cardassian war orphans are being raised to hate Cardassians. Cisco says Dukat is assuming quite a bit there. Cisco will look into the matter a bit more. Dukat says he appreciates that. He wants to know as much as he can about the kid, so he can make a more forceful argument to bring the war orphans back to Cardassia. The kid's name is Rugal. While his Bajoran custodian isn't raising Rugal to hate Cardassians exactly, he and his wife are raising him as a Bajoran. That means telling him about what the Cardassians did to his adoptive homeworld. To he and his wife, Rugal isn't Cardassian. He's their son. And they love him. In Quarks, Bashir is talking to a Lucky Dabo player. The player was on the promenade when Rugal took a bite out of Garrick. He tells Bashir that Yes, he knows Rugal and his adoptive family, though they don't sound familial. He says the Bajoran couple beats Rugal, hates Rugal. He says the boy is the couple's revenge against all Cardassians. Back with the Bajoran, of course the story is refuted. Sisko says he'll continue to investigate. In the meantime, they'd like Rugal to stay with DS9's teacher, Keiko O'Brien. Rugal argues, though Sisko says he's not in trouble... It'll only be for a while, and if he wants to see his father tomorrow, he can. Finally, with his Bajoran father's assurance that no one will hurt him, Rugal goes along. Act 2 Bashir is checking up on Garrick's hand. The doctor says at least one good thing has come of this. Now they know about Rugal. It should help Gul Dukat in his effort to bring home all of the Cardassian war orphans left on Bajor. To say Garrick seems skeptical of Dukat's motives, would be putting it mildly. First, they're not friends, despite Dukat's apparent concern for Garrick's well-being. Second, Garrick seems to indicate to Bashir that the Cardassians left the orphans intentionally when they lifted off Bajor, a withdrawal, by the way, led by Gul Dukat. In Ops, Gul Dukat thanks Sisko for returning Rugal to the Cardassians, though Sisko says, eh, we're not there yet. They arrange a DNA analysis to find out who the kid's biological parents are. Coming in late to the game, Bashir has a question for Dukat. When you led the evacuation of Bajor, why did you choose to leave the kids you left behind? Dukat says he did not choose to leave the kids. He was ordered to by the civilian government, which may or may not have a say in such matters. Anyway, Dukat had no choice. And tell Garrick to... Well, tell Garrick what I said. Ducat out. Sisko wants Bashir to explain what that was all about. Bashir tells him what Garrick thinks is going on, or what Bashir thinks Garrick thinks. He sort of has to kind of guess, since Garrick won't write out say. So you're interrupting my delicate diplomatic dance based on what you think Garrick thinks? First of all, stop it. And second, have Garrick in my office later. Back at the O'Brien quarters, Miles is not cool with Rugal being there. He's less cool with hearing that Rugal and his young daughter, Molly, were playing all day. He's these Cardassians this and those Cardassians that. And Miles' racism will not be tolerated by Keiko. And now, time for dinner. Keiko replicates some... Horrid-seeming Cardassian dish that neither Miles nor Rugal can stomach. And that seems to have softened Miles on the kid. Later, when Rugal can't sleep, he and Miles talk over Rugal's predicament. He wants to go home. To Bajor. Sure, Bajorans hate Cardassians, but Rugal doesn't see himself as Cardassian. Also, that stuff about Rugal's adoptive parents beating him? Nonsense. Nonsense. They've never laid a hand on him. They follow the teachings of the Prophets. Meanwhile, Cardassians murdered over 10 million Bajorans during the occupation. Sadly, Rugal tells Miles that he wishes he weren't Cardassian. Act 3. It's the middle of the night and Garrick wakes Bashir. Come, get dressed. We're going to Bajor. Of course, that means Bashir has to wake Sisko to ask to use a runabout. Without knowing... Why, exactly? Sisko seems disinclined, until Gul Dukat calls Sisko with good news. Well, news, anyway. Thanks to the DNA Sisko sent, Dukat now knows that Rugal is the son of one of Cardassia's most prominent politicians, Kotan Fadar. They all thought Rugal had died in a Bajoran terrorist attack. Fadar is stoked to hear his son is alive. In fact, he's on his way to DS9 to retrieve the kid right now. Sisko points out that that hasn't been settled. Rugal still wants to go back to Bajor. And no, word of the cruelty of his Bajoran parents hasn't changed anybody's mind. There's no proof that they have been cruel. In fact, Sisko can't even find the Dabo playing associate who made the accusation. Well, it's settled, as far as Ducat's concerned. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Ducat out. I love you. Bye bye. Bashir says the call from Dukat and Garrick's near simultaneous request for a field trip can't be coincidence. Garrick must have heard about Vidar before Dukat's call. And that's enough for Sisko. Garrick and Bashir have their runabout. At a sort of refugee adoption center on Bajor, Bashir and Garrick get the cold shoulder from the site's administrator. She doesn't recognize the name of the Cardassian kid nor the Bajoran who adopted him. The off-worlders ask if they can have a look through the facility's computers, but the computers don't work. But Garrick says he can fix them, which he does, and finds... nothing. Well, not here, anyway, though he can download the files of the rest of the resettlement centers and look at them back on Deep Space Nine. Garrick and Bashir leave, saying almost nothing to the Gardassian children who've suddenly turned up, and who they're leaving behind. Act 4. Garrick and Bashir are on their way back to Deep Space Nine, except whoops, no they're not. Bashir kills the runabout. Either Garrick will tell him what's going on, or they can sit here and rot. So Garrick walks Bashir through it. The civilian government did order the withdrawal from Bajor. Gul Dukat was not happy, but he had to lead the withdrawal. All of a sudden, years later, this kid turns up on Deep Space Nine. Coincidentally, the son of Padar one of the civilian leaders who lost Dukat his job. And Dukat is all concerned, and he's in the middle of it. Back on DS9, Kotan Padar has shown up at the quarters of Miles O'Brien, ready to see his boy. Yeah, about that, says Miles. He may not want to go with you. He's grown up without you, raised by people who hate you. He hates you, in principle. He hates Cardassians. And Padar hates that. Family, he says, is the most important thing to a Cardassian. Family is everything. He's let his family down. Speaking of which, here's Keiko with Rugal. Rugal hears Padar how he thought the boy was dead, how he cried for him, and Rugal does not care. You deserved what happened. The Bajorans killed your son for your crimes. You're a butcher. A butcher. You're not my father. And I will never go to Cardassia. That does, of course, not settle that. Rugal's dads will argue their case before. Well, golly, there have already been a lot of guest stars on this episode, so how about Cisco? Eh, the dads decide he'll do, just as Gul Dukat arrives on Deep Space Nine. Act 5. Sisko's really starting to think there's more going on here than he knows, that events are being manipulated. Bashir and Garrick are still digging through the files for something on Rugal's adoption, but for all of them, time is running out. Dukat says he's there to witness, and to offer support for Padar. Sisko finds that weird, since Dukat and Padar are political rivals, but neither of them wants to talk about that. Anyway, the real actions with Bashir and Garrick... Garrick finally figures out that Dukat has buried the file on Rugal. But he tracks down the person who would have taken Rugal in at the relocation center. And she remembers Rugal being brought there by a Cardassian. A Cardassian who worked directly for Gul Dukat. Though Dukat admits nothing, what we find out is that Dukat left Rugal with the relocation center as leverage. What Pendar said was true. Family is everything. When it comes out that his son was raised by Bajorans, that will be the end of Padar's political career. Why play that card now? Because the civilian government on Cardassia is looking into Cardassian involvement in the recent attempted military coup on Bajor. Disgracing a preeminent civilian leader, Padar, might shift attention from the Cardassian military, of which Dukat is a leading member. So... Rugal gets to go back to Bajor, right? Now, yeah, for some reason, no. While Sisko is convinced that Rugal's Bajoran parents have treated him with love, he's sided with Padar. I believe it is time for his healing to begin, says Sisko. Padar thanks Sisko for his help getting his son back and for salvaging his political career. Dukat will want to keep all of this quiet, so yay! And says Cisco, maybe you can help get the other orphans off Bajor back to Cardassia as well. Sure, maybe. For now, the end.
0: Hey, we'll look them up in the DNA database. Yeah, why don't we? Yeah, here they have those sometimes. Sometimes when they, they hey, we we got one over here. Wait, we, last time we were looking over there. We definitely don't have one over there, but over here we've we've got a DNA database.
1: It's kind of weird to me, actually. I mean, speaking of technology that they sometimes have, sometimes don't. So they go to this relocation center, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, our computer is Buster," and uh, and Garrick's like, "Oh, I can fix your computer," and then he's like, "Oh, and I can get all the files off all the other computers because apparently <laughs> they're all still working, even though this one, as I mentioned, was Buster." I had a question, by the way, about Garrick. Sure. Uh, does he head Deep Space Nine's rugby team or is he just a supporter? Why, why, why do you ask that? Did you not see what he was wearing? A tailor, <laughs> for crying out loud. Did you not see what he was wearing? Yeah, I thought he yeah. was one of the houses of, uh, of Hogwarts. I couldn't remember which one. Maybe (laughs) Slytherin, maybe Hufflepuff. I'm not really good on the colors.
0: Well, they they gave him a little more flash this time around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Uh (laughs) They gave him. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if if I'd say black and green is flash exactly. But uh, yes, a little more, um, a little less, and then a little bit.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I have to know. Uh, There's a food thing here that I have to know about. First of all, the Cardassian food looks disgusting. Um, but is there some kind of a warning system that comes with trying foods, even replicated foods, which you assume some level of safety there? But if you're trying a food from another planet, I mean, you can tell me it's Cardassian stew with fresh zabu, but I don't know if zabu by its very nature is toxic to humans.
1: Hmm. That's actually a really uh, interesting question. Let's bring it to human terms. Would, would the. Would the replicator give you blowfish?
0: I uh, well, you know, it, it it may very well, but but blowfish for a a human. I mean, like the, there are ways to prepare blowfish for humans that are just fine. Okay, so I assume I'm I'm getting the just fine recipe coming out of the uh, replicator. <laughs> I imagine that's the one I'm getting. I'm not getting the liver
1: when I. Uh, well, now this raises a question. So when Riker mm-hmm. made his really horrible eggs. Right. Yeah, yeah. Did he actually send out for real eggs, or did he replicate eggs and then prepare them? Because then, if I go to the if I go to the replicator and yeah. say blowfish, and they say, okay, I'm going to give you safe blowfish, you're going to be like, no, 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 I just want blowfish because I'll make it. Yeah. <laughs> right. is the replicator yeah. going to be like, all right, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because I am going to give you something that may kill you. Yeah. Or yeah. is the replicator just like? I mean, is it like you know food additive where it's like, okay, well, this will taste exactly like zabu even though we've taken all the parts that would kill, you know, anything.
0: True, true. But, but like if a Cardassian stomach is, is when, when they think Zabu in a, in a nice sauce, they might be thinking like formaldehyde and hydrochloric acid. They might be, oh, yeah, that right. sounds awesome. And if we're going to program it, let's program it like mom used to make with all the formaldehyde and hydrochloric acid. And that's going to be the way that we like it. But then a human comes along and goes, oh, what's this stew? That that sounds good. I'll try that. It's Cardassian. I want to try the local delicacy.
1: I'm, I, you know, maybe, maybe all replicators are sort of like, um, who was the, who was the weapons manufacturer that used to arm both sides? Oh, Stark Industries. So, oh, maybe the people who make, maybe the people who make the replicators (laughs) are like Stark Industries, and they're like everybody's got to eat. So, you know, the same people who make the ones for the Federation, and make them for Starfleet, also make them for the Cardassians and the Ferengi. And um, and the Borg, which is actually an easy one, but still. Well, yeah. Well, that's good. See, now now that's a good business to go into. So wow. I, I
0: like this. Yeah. Except
1: then you have to say, don't you have to choose a side at some point? I believe it was Bob Dylan who said, "You got to serve somebody. It may be the <laughs> yes. devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody." Uh huh. Uh-huh. Although they would of course argue, we're serving everybody. Yeah. Would you like a replicator? <laughs> <you know. laughs> how, about Zambu? Zom- how about some how about some Zombo? Right. Yeah. Steaming hot and full of formaldehyde. Um, I've actually got a question tied to this episode. Has, uh, has this section of space not gotten to the word that the Cardassians are the bad guys? Cause like in the episode, the circle, uh, the Krasari working with the Cardassians. And in this episode, the Dabo player working with the Cardassians. What? I mean, at, at some point, yeah. wouldn't you think, I mean, not to make it all about Harry Potter again, but is it just like, <laughs> yeah, some people like house Slytherin. They just can't help themselves. They just, they just do. They're not bad. They're just... They're Slytherin.
0: I, I think the thing with the Cardassians is, is that good or bad, they were successful in, in at least some of their campaigns up until mm. now. And that, that's what the Krasari are after. And that's what that Dabo player is after. Uh, they're, they're looking for. Yeah, look, I'm not saying it's good, but, okay. um, but that's what they're after, you know. They, they want the, the people who have the, the tactical or technological advantage. I mean, look, they go to Bajor, and they're like, we can cut a deal with the, oh, but they got to fight the cloud monster next week, so <laughs> no deals are going to be made here.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying at some point, maybe you don't want to throw in with uh, with the bad guys.
0: I don't want to. You don't want to. Right. He's Krasari. He's Krasari. Look, I don't want to get in with them if they're getting with the Cardassians.
1: And the guys so. with the things on their heads. The guy with the thing on his head. The Dabo guy.
0: Definitely that guy.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so many, look, I, I know that we'll, we'll get to the point where we get to summarize the show here, but I, I just have to point out, there are so many good individual scenes in this episode. And I talked earlier in the trivia about how Ira had a big hand in pushing this episode along, but, um, I, and I also mentioned Michael Pillar. but you know, so much of the character work and the focus on character work comes from Michael Pillar And, just breaking this episode down, scene by scene, so many that are just two people having a moment. Bashir and Garrick, of course, you open with that. O'Brien and Rugal, that, that's such a, a terrific scene with them at the dinner table pushing their bowls of disgusting food toward each other. Cisco um, and Bashir have uh, some great moments. It's just an episode full of good stuff. Um, and and I, I like an episode where the character stuff is so strong on its own, but also feeds the story as well. So well done there. Um, And Hey, switching gears a little bit. How about that outfit Cisco is wearing when he greets Bashir in the middle of the night? It it is magnificent because Mm -hmm. he is, he is relaxed. He's ready for bed. He's maybe he's been up reading or working on that clock that he still can not figure out how he built, but he is ready for any unannounced emergency party that might occur. He, he is a step away from Michael York lounging in his apartment in Logan's run. He is that good.
1: You know, you have thought almost as much about this outfit as you do about food.
0: Almost. Not quite, <laughs> but almost. Yeah. Um, hey, in the end of this, you might be thinking, what of Rugal? Well, there is a book because, Ken, there's a book for everything. Yes, I was actually interested to find out that there's a book that tells us what happens to Rugal. Years and years and years after this incident—is
1: this a fiction book?
0: Well, well, Ken, it's all <laughs> fiction. <laughs> I hate to tell you. I right. know.
1: See, here's the thing. What's what's the name of the book? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't have it off the top. Of all my right, head. you're a horrible I, I, person because you yeah, can't do yeah. that. You absolutely can't do that. So between this segment and next segment, we're gonna find out the name of that book and tell people because it's just it's mean. That would yeah. be like saying, yeah. "Oh yeah, there's another episode uh, that uh, that Rugel was in." <laughs> really? Just gonna leave everybody hanging there? No, it's, it's a terrible thing to do. Don't worry, everybody. We'll find out what the name of the book is, and we'll uh, we'll get back to you. yeah Assuming we don't forget, which may actually happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there's a good line. You'd be, when Garrick is fixing the computer, you'd be surprised how often someone needs a, their pants let out. And that is what we call a callback. Because remember earlier in the episode, O'Brien was talking about how terrible Garrick is at pants. So, I thought that was a really nice little, just subtle thing there, and, and actually, that whole scene with Garrick and the Bajoran orphanage is great. Uh, you go from the bristling of the Bajoran seeing him to him fixing the computer and the Cardassian children seeing him just playing so many different emotional beats in in a very short period. Uh, another great Garrick moment here: I believe in coincidences. coincidences happen every day, but I don't trust coincidences. Wonderful, purely Garrick line. Um, Another line, though, and you mentioned it in your recap. um, Cisco says in the uh, station log, the arrival of Gold only powers my suspicion that we're being manipulated in some unseen manner. I I I kind of (laughs) I kind of didn't want that in the in the station log. I thought it was just telegraphing a little too much to the audience.
1: Yeah, I would, I would think actually waking up on Deep Space Nine would be an indication that you're being manipulated in some unseen manner.
0: Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Especially
1: after the Homecoming, the Circle, and the Siege, you'd think like, wow, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I had like three episodes to see that coming, didn't? (laughs) it's (laughs) <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it's like, all on now yeah. right you have one week where like Dax is being moved from one trill to another and you're like oh thank goodness for once I, I get what's going on and then the next week you're like well I have no idea what's going on I assume everything's oh man you know I really think somebody's screwing with us I do guys I do I do 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 Right. Before we actually get into the big discussion, uh, John has a very important announcement for people who I know have been hanging on, who have been waiting, who have been holding on since last segment. Uh, The book is called
0: The Never Ending Sacrifice by Una
1: McCormick. Una McCormick. Okay, Uh, that's the one with the with the big sort of weird flying dog, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And theme song by (laughs) Lamal, formerly lead singer of Kajagoogoo. Really? alternative new wave British band, uh, known for their hit too
1: shy. See, I thought El de Barge was the lead.
0: <laughs> no, no, you uh, were so close. Yeah. 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 Right.
1: So, and Lamal, by the way, doesn't mean the bad. Nope. No. Okay. Nope.
0: Nope. Not in this section. No, no, Lamal.
1: No, no flying dog, by the way, and the never ending sacrifice. We of course, uh, were making a never ending story joke.
0: You don't know, have you read it?
1: uh well, no, that's true.
0: <laughs> this could be the story of a young Cardassian boy who lets his imagination take flight when he hops on this giant flying dog thing giant flying and, dog uh, thing, yeah, 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 and he hears songs by Lamal.
1: that could that could easily happen, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me actually because he is he is he is pretty shy, mm-hmm. Is he too too shy, shy, though? That's the question. Well, you know, maybe read the book and find out. (laughs) (sighs) So um, if parts of this episode seemed familiar, I I know it's not because you recognize the Cardassian, because we've never seen him before. But um, to me, this episode was um, sort of like, it's sort of like if you were telling suddenly human again, Mm -hmm. without um, actually concentrating on the human interest part. Oh, interesting. so yeah. So suddenly human for people who don't remember, uh, Jojo, Jono, Jono, something. Uh, Jono. The, yeah. Jono. Okay. So there was a kid who, uh, well, he was a human kid and, uh, his outpost where his parents were raising him got attacked or something. And, and, and the, the people who attacked him, uh, found this, you know, little pink muling you know, thing uh, but but couldn't kill him. Decided to take him and raise him. The warlord, the guy, the general, decided to raise Jono as his own. And then um, and then uh, we actually watched it. And and I personally, because I can't remember, I tried to go back and find our notes. And here's what's weird: mm-hmm. those notes have disappeared. Not unlike the uh, not unlike the records of what happened here with the with this young Cardassian boy that we're following through this episode. Wait, are you being serious? The I'm dead serious. Dude, seriously, I went back to the repository where we have all of our notes, and it seriously goes from 171, whatever that episode was, to 173, whatever that episode was. 172, suddenly human is not there. Wow. I know. Because uh, so,
0: first of all, if you, if you know anything about Mission Log World HQ, uh, we are meticulously organized. So yeah. I'm <laughs> I, actually, I, I'm a little surprised by that. I mean, I, I would I, think that I could go
1: back and find the notes
0: from one All the way forward.
1: And here's the thing. If you kept them someplace on a hard drive or something, like, I know where my notes for them are. They are on a computer that is in a box that is in storage. Yeah. Okay? (laughs) I thought I had another copy of them someplace else, but then I thought, oh, well, I'll go to our online repository for this stuff. Yeah, Seriously, that episode is not there. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, I can't remember, honestly, what you thought In my memory, though, we were both kind of horrified that they were like, yeah, just go live with your grandmother now. Even though you don't know her, you don't know human society because you haven't been raised as a human. You have, however, been raised by somebody who loves you and cares about you. And that's kind of where we sort of, I think, came down. I know that's where I came down. And lots of people were horrified because they're like, no, he's human. He should be with humans. And these are warrior people and they're terrible warrior people. But, you know, everybody was like, oh, but he should actually be, you know, sent to somebody who he's related to by blood, even though, you know, they're like 80 or whatever. It's like a grandmother Mm -hmm. or a great grandmother or something. So it's not like she's going to be down with the kids. And she's certainly not going to understand his warrior mindset because he was raised by these warrior people who, can I bring it back around to, loved him and cared for him. And have also, you know, sort of sworn off their attacking colonist ways. I wonder if people are going to feel any different About whether Rugal should be sent to live on Cardassia, a place where he's never been to live in a society that he not only doesn't know, but despises based on the horrific things that they actually did. Yeah. You know, rather than living with the peaceful people who have raised him since he was, you know, abandoned by the Cardassians and who also loved him and cared for him that whole time.
0: Yeah. I, I feel terrible about it in a number of ways. I mean, okay. look, here's when I sat down to take notes about this episode, I, I thought that when we get to our next segment, morals, meaning and messages, I look, the morals, meaning and message is pretty clear cut. I, I think we're, that that's a kind of a short segment, but the thematic stuff and the character stuff explored in this episode is pretty deep and complex and, and very gray. And the first thing, that came up for me was this identity issue for Rugal. Is he Cardassian or is he Bajoran? Mm -hmm. And if Cisco is trying at all to play any sort of political card here, well, there might actually be a benefit to having a Cardassian, and apparently he wouldn't be the only one, but a Cardassian raised on Bajor with other Bajorans. There's a little bit of uh, uh, maybe a, uh, something to be learned from that, first of all. Um, but Rugal sees himself, and we are told from the beginning of this episode, he sees himself as Bajoran and nothing else. Now, there's a problem with that as well. They tell you that he is loved by his parents, Mm-hmm. But I cannot help but think that there is some form of psychological abuse here that needs to be untangled. Um, not intentional. I, I, I don't think his uh, adoptive parents are are terrible people. I don't think they mean uh, maliciously anything that they're doing. But his adoptive parents have told Rugal every day how terrible Cardassians are. I mean, they don't beat him or anything. You know, we we're very clear about that. But growing up in that, the uh, the the level of self hatred that that is already uh, on display by him is um it is really shocking and sad. So part of me says he needs to be around Cardassians. at at some point somehow. Now I'm going to say that Gul Dukat is probably not a role model. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say that there are plenty of other Cardassians who are not role models. But you know what? Come up to DS9 and hang out with Garrick for a little while. He Seems like a nice guy. Okay.
1: Let me ask a question really quickly, though. Why do you think, um, Why? Uh, where do you see self-hatred? I see hatred of Cardassians, but I don't see Rugal saying, I hate myself. I see him saying, I hate Cardassians. And yes, racially, he is a Cardassian, but he doesn't think of himself as one. He says that he thinks of himself as Bajoran, not Cardassian.
0: But he knows that he is Cardassian. And that is something that he will not ever be able to escape. He will look in a mirror and he will always see somebody who looks like the other people that he hates. And I think that has to be a kind of torture.
1: See, I feel like you're projecting. Not not your own feelings about yourself. But, I mean, you're deciding what he has to be thinking about himself. What he says is he hates Cardassians. He says that he thinks they're butchers. He says he thinks he's Bajoran. Then he's been raised as Bajoran. I mean, on the outside, yes, he looks like a Cardassian, but he's been raised Bajoran. He thinks of himself as Bajoran. He prays as a Bajoran prays before somebody hands him food, which, by the way, bad form, Keiko. To get him food that he seriously <laughs> never had or hasn't had since he was four yeah. anyway. But we can come back to that in a second.
0: Okay, but, I, but here's the thing. Here's Rubel yeah. walking around in a, in a village on Bajor. And every shop that he goes into, every every cloud-worshipping uh, group of people he encounters, they're going to see him as Cardassian. And his entire life, you know, outside of his family unit... His entire life, he's got to stop and say, no, actually, I'm Bajoran because I was a Cardassian orphan who was left here after the occupation. But th- that is his life. And sure, I could be projecting what he feels about it. But the reality is something that he can't escape no matter what. So I, I, I understand. Look, I, I want him to be on Bajor because, uh, like I said, this family has exhibited that they care for him. And that's all he knows. Mm -hmm. but there's also a very clear difference between him and people on Bajor and I feel like it's it's another kind of well abuse isn't quite the right word but it's a it's a serious oversight to not give him the opportunity to figure out that side of him and and, and it's not just a side it is he is 100% Cardassian physically genetically um he has a family on cardassia that presumably would care about him if he were there i I think that he's he's got to be exposed to that he's got to he's got to learn from that somehow the end of this episode is a bit of a mess though because it just cuts everything off and says here now you're going to go live with these people that you don't know
1: well remind me where were you on the whole Jono thing
0: I wish I could remember because, uh, I, I can't see the notes. Okay? Uh, <laughs> well, no, you can't.
1: I mean, yeah. I remember thinking that he should have been left with the warrior people. And, and, and yeah. even though they are not quote his people. And here's the thing. He doesn't look like those warrior people. I think they had, you know, some forehead thing going on that he doesn't have, but still, yeah, he, yeah. you know, he fights his way and he's raised by it. Yeah. He's raised by those people. And that was, I mean, that was, that was his upbringing because here's the problem that I have with what you're saying. Forgive mm-hmm. me, but I mean, so should no, should no, should should someone who looks different outwardly than the people who are adopting him and the neighborhood into which he's likely to move into or she's likely to move into ever be raised by those people or be adopted by those people? Should Should no, a person I... of one race only raise a person of that race and should another person or another couple of a different race not be allowed to do that because of what other people might think?
0: No, no, no. I, I, that, that's not my point at all. I mean, I, I, I feel like that we're doing a disservice to this child mm-hmm. to, to first of all, paint everyone who comes from his family, his planet, his, his genetic brothers as butchers and enemies. Okay. I, you know, typically, that's not a thing, hopefully not a thing that you would run into when you have families of one race adopting a child of another race here in 21st century Earth. Okay. Um, not to okay. say that it can't happen, but I, I think we're starting from that point, which is... Terrible. And I, and I think it's an awful thing to put him through. But then the other thing is that let, let's put it into a real world example. Okay, you, you have uh, a family in the United States adopting a child from another country that's not the same race as the adoptive family. Mm-hmm. It would also be wrong of that family to deny education that is, you know, sort of a, a reasonable and wholly thought out education about that child's uh, uh, racial or ethnic background, you know? And, and I feel like this family, as much as they say, we love him, he's ours, that's great. You can say that all day long. But I feel like there's a, a serious oversight that will mess with Rugal the rest of his life when you say, you're a good one because we raised you. Everybody else like you is a horrible butcher.
1: See, I didn't hear them say that everybody else like them was a horrible butcher. And the thing is we don't live in their house, so we don't know what they're saying. I mean but he doesn't he didn't actually bite he, he he bought he is yes, he bit Garrick, but he actually never says that his his father does say his Bajoran father does say to Cisco, I've told him the truth about what the Cardassians did. But when Rugal is talking about it, he says, Do you know how many people uh the the Cardassians murdered on Bajor? Ten million. We learned about it in class. Yeah. I mean, so the 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 truth of the matter is, the people from which Rugal came did kill 10 million people, but he's now a teenage kid in a Bajoran school learning about history.
0: Yeah, I, and that which is true, and that is truth with a capital T. Right. But how many, how much is he being exposed to? And look, it's all speculative because we have 42 minutes of, you know, fictional characters telling the story for us. Yeah, but... How many of those people that he is around are like Miles O'Brien, who actually has to have a moment himself confront his own prejudice and say, yeah, you can't judge a whole race of people, even though that's what was already in his uh, uh, kind of knee-jerk reaction to, to even having Rugal there. How many people in Rugal's circle... And I hope they're more than just O'Brien, but it seemed like that moment with O'Brien was pretty unique in Rugal's life experience so far. Well, somebody to sit him down and say, yeah, I try to judge people individually, not because of their, their race. I don't get the impression that that's a conversation that he's had many times before. It felt like that was very new to him.
1: Yeah, my only issue is if you flip it the other way, how good is it going to be to go to a planet of millions of people who he thinks of as butchers? Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I mean, so yeah. here's the thing. It's already been stated because this whole this this whole thing was set up by Dukat years ago. Right. So that if mm-hmm. it ever came out that Padar's kid was raised by uh, Bajorans, then that's the end of B- uh, Padar's political career. So my guess is that means then that the kid's not going to be really well accepted on Cardassia either. So now when he goes back to Cardassia, all he has to do is be quiet about everything he thinks and everything he feels and who actually raised him. Wow. Yeah. Where you been? I can't tell you. (laughs) Who are you? Yeah, I can't really say. I mean, there's no, it's like when this kid gets back, what happens to him at that point? And then, I mean, do you also not weigh, you know, what you're throwing him back into? Because, I mean, no, his parents on Bajor never beat him, right? Who knows what's going to happen to him on Cardassia, but it's hard to see how it's going to go well. I mean, even if you think it's gone poorly to this point, at least it's stuff he understands. Right. And I'm not saying that makes it better. But I mean, we have no idea what's going to happen to him going forward, because now he's got this high profile father who has to keep secret what happened to his kid. I don't even understand the I don't even understand the logic that has him going back to Cardassia, honestly. But can we can we address something else really quickly? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He should never have been having dinner with Miles O'Brien because they need to find they need a social worker. (laughs) <laughs> they, need, they need somebody who actually works with people on Deep yeah. Space Nine. Why would Starfleet think that a counselor is a good idea for a starship, but not for a space station? I mean, yeah. just because Keiko is a scientist doesn't mean that she's a good teacher. And just because she's, you know, sort of fallen into the role of a teacher does not mean she's a social worker. Then <laughs> witness the fact that she gives him food that he can't stomach. She says, I thought it would be good for him to have food from his own world. It'd be like if it'd be like if somebody like, you know, picked Keiko up someplace and said, Uh, here, I have prepared for you a meal of peeps. Because peeps (laughs) are popular food on earth, right? Uh Because we don't even like regionally this stew that she's given him could be terrible on another part of Cardassia. I mean, she's like (laughs) she just like found some it's like it's like Cardassia chow, right? And just gave it to him. And by the way, it did nobody, you know, prep her on the fact that he's not in his head Cardassian. So, right, maybe right. maybe take him in at the shallow end and sort of wade him in as opposed to, here's the crap you're going to be eating for the rest of your life if the case goes the other way.
0: I'm I, I'm going to throw out a totally different idea here. Here's right. what you do if you're Keiko. All right. Yeah. Here we go. It, it goes like this. Hey, Rugal, what would you like to have for dinner? And scene. <laughs>
1: Actually, I might take it back a little bit further and go. Hey, Benjamin, you have like you and one kid. I've got a husband who is racist against Cardassians and a four year old that I'm looking after. And I'm teaching all the other kids on DS9. What do you say? Hey, you know, you know who lives by herself? Kira. You know who else lives (laughs) by himself? Odo. You know what I got? a job that I never even should have had in the first place and a kid. (laughs) And I got to pick up miles socks, which I swear to God, he's like hiding them in cupboards at this point. They're everywhere.
0: You just wrote Keiko's entire personal log. (laughs) That's (laughs) it's yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. A Keiko O'Brien novel by Ken Ray. That'll be, (laughs) that'll just be her whole thing. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the, the O'Brien and Rugal scene though. Um, There was something that I did find fault in it uh, about, and it's not a huge deal because uh, look, the moment as a piece of TV drama, it expresses exactly what it needs to, which is commonality for Rugal and O'Brien. It gets us over the hump with them and it leads to them having a conversation, which is really all we need out of that. Um, but And look, and I'm not trying to make a joke here, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but uh, go a different path. What if Rugal loved the food? What, would that have simply then been a moment that fed O'Brien's prejudice more? Like, oh, look, well, he, he's Cardassian, he loves his Cardassian food, he's exactly who I thought he was. Was mm-hmm. O'Brien ever going to break out of his own personal baggage and see Rugal as a person if not for that one moment now again don't don't get me wrong because i love it when moments like that happen but it goes back to other times that i've expressed before where i get rubbed the wrong way when we hear about someone who completely lacks empathy for someone of another race or sexual orientation or belief system until that person ends up in their own backyard and for a guy like o'brien who is a Starfleet officer, who, who by, by all counts is a great guy and, and somebody you want to have your back. Empathy should be the default position. And not only should that be the default position, this is a kid. This is a kid who is in a terrible and difficult situation, who his wife is trying to make somewhat more comfortable point taken she should not be the one <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah that, that was the only moment in that scene that gave me pause
1: it's also a bit of a drag because we had o'brien yeah pretty much get over this in an episode of tng Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of the episode at this point, but he has had to learn that all Cardassians are not the way he has always thought Cardassians were. And yes, I understand he was mistreated by them. I understand it was a terrible, you know, he was put in a terrible situation. I get that. But I think we've gotten him over this hump two or three times now. And so for it to be a constant reset with him, um, yeah, that's a little bit annoying.
0: Well, and that's something though that you hit on that I find really fascinating Look, war stories are sometimes very interesting, but I'm really fascinated by the aftermath stories. You know, after people have been conditioned to look at someone else as the other and told to kill them, what happens when you cease fire? O'Brien, as you said, already had to go through that. And maybe it says something about the character that there's this lingering thing that comes back to him when he's, he's faced with, Oh, here's another Cardassian. Yeah, this one's a kid. This was a kid raised on Bajor, but I can't escape what it is that I feel about Cardassians. I, I think Star Trek generally does these types of stories very well, where you take somebody who, who sees the other in one way mm-hmm. and then has to find their way out of that either through reason or through an emotional character growth moment again, dumping all that on O'Brien, I I think it's debatable whether that was correct or incorrect for this particular episode
1: Dukat Dukat Mish Cardassians. Honestly, you know, for it being right in the title, surprisingly few Cardassians in this episode. <laughs> I think there are three. Mm-hmm. Well, well there are the other Cardassian kids that we spotted, you know, down on Bajor for just about a minute. I'm guessing if it had been Cardassians exclamation point, it just would have been wall-to-wall Cardassians. Oh, man, imagine that. Like, start to finish. Yeah. And there would have been a musical number because, you know, exclamation point <laughs> <laughs> at the very end. I can only mean one thing, Broadway bound. Uh, it's time for the part of the episode where we talk about the messages, morals and meanings and uh, trying to figure out whether the whole thing holds up today. Uh, and I guess we start with that uh, uh, with you, Mr. Champion. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned?
0: Yeah, well, you know, this is the thing that we're seeing more and more, which is that uh, to me, at least DS9 gets something so right in digging deep at the characters that, that the previous shows have tried, but I feel like sometimes not necessarily executed as well, or maybe they haven't committed to as well. Um, you have an issues show here, very straightforward about prejudice. And you have the political intrigue where the answers aren't as clear cut as we assume necessarily, because you have people sort of playing the system, Um and in all of that, you've got more and more complex ways for our characters to be challenged. We needed this episode after the heaviness of something like duet. And not not that there aren't heavy themes here. It's a heavy episode. But you need characters like Rugal and Garrick. so you see Cardassians as multifaceted and not just the stand-in bad guys. Um I feel like this episode works for two reasons. Because it's part of the ongoing very large myth building of ds9 but it also works so well as just a standalone episode of star trek you you could come into this knowing very little other than kind of the rough sketch of all right here are the people on the station these are bajorans these are cadassians and go and and you actually has something here that that stands up pretty well um but yeah i i think it holds up uh what else
1: I'm not sure I'm there. Really? I mean, uh, as far as whether or not it's a well-produced episode of television, sure. Mm-hmm. As far as whether or not it was well-acted, yes. As far as whether or not it was well-written, um, yes, as part of the ongoing political intrigue. I mean, this is something you almost never would have seen in Star Trek. Certainly you would never have seen it in TOS or the animated series. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't see it often in Next Gen but everything that's happening right now with this kid is something that was set up like eight years ago by Gul Dukat in case he ever had to cover himself if something like what happened three or four episodes ago happened,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? With the with uh, the Homecoming, the Circle, and the Siege. This was – I mean, he went ahead and played this card now so that he could, you know, basically get Fadar out of the way. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting, but it's not – I'm sorry to do this. It's not overly Star Trek exactly. I mean, we're, we're, we're definitely doing what I said I was going to have to do. And I imagine I'll get there more easily at some point, but I'm having to watch this in a very different way hmm. because, because one of the biggest problems that I have is all the stuff that we talked about, about whether or not he should have gone back to a uh, Bajor or whether he should have gone to Cardassia for the first time. Right hmm that's that's just that's just that's background that's just stuff that's going on right mm-hmm. you and i talked about it more than they talked about it at one point the kid's like i, I want to go back to bejo i don't want to go to Cardassia. and and o'brien's like well you know you should you should tell people that that's what you want well here's the thing he had been saying it all the way through and he continued to say it and in the end ben somehow decides that what's going to help this kid with his healing is to go back to this place where he's not going to be allowed to talk about what's actually happened and where he's going to hate literally everyone around him. That is going to begin his healing as far as Cisco is concerned. And, and there does not really seem to be like everything that happens to this kid. I mean, he's, he's just a pawn, just the same as everyone else there is a pawn. And in the end, the father who's going to take him back and love him is not going to care about the rest of the orphans. That's the implication. Cisco's like, "Hey, maybe you could use, you know, what you've learned to help all these other kids that were left." And he's like, "Yeah, maybe I could." I mean, I'm not gonna, but maybe, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, I mean, I
0: <sighs> Well, but uh, let me uh, let me ask it to you this way though. I mean, let, let's go back to an episode that that we talk about a lot, which is a private little war. You know, Private Little War is an episode where Kirk says there is no good solution here. I I can only do what what it is that I can do. Look, I I think Cisco made a bad call. I I think there were many other options here that were better than his ultimate call. But he's also trapped in this political situation where he just felt like, well, here's what I got to do. I don't think that that... Negates the very interesting other stuff going on with the, this kid's search for slash loss of identity in this, the exploration of race and family and upbringing. I, I don't think it's just purely background noise, to the extent that you're saying that it is. I, I think it's still, I think it's still a valuable part of the story. I think it's a very Star Trek part of the story. The problem is we end up in a place where like at the end of another ambiguous episode, there's not a great call for the captain here to make or the commander here to make.
1: Did he even talk to Rugal? Cisco? I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, uh. Do we get a real scene with, with Cisco and Rugal? Because if you're telling me that Cisco made a political decision there, then I'm sorry, that's not Star Trek. That's just not. I mean it's not what you want the federation to be anyway. And I'm not saying this episode is not Star Trek. I'm not saying Deep Space 9 is not Star Trek. Yeah, I'm no, saying no, no, I don't feel like our examination of what's going on with this kid is is terribly nuanced. I mean Miles is talking to him about it, but Miles has absolutely no shot. What Miles says is you should tell everybody what you want. The kid tells everybody what he wants. He still has no shot. We have no idea what's going to happen to the kid going forward. And the people that he's being turned over to are willing to use him to further both of their political agendas. Gul Dukat had him sent off to a to a reassignment or, or adoption or whatever, you know, camp on Bajor mm-hmm. because he thought he could use him as a card later. And now this guy is using him as a card because now I've got this kid. I've got this kid. And if it ever comes out, what happened? That would be the end of Gul Dukat. Well, it'd also be the end of him as well. In the meantime, nobody is actually thinking of what's best for this kid. And -hmm. our writers didn't think about what's best for this kid. Our writers, it seems to me, actually wrote this whole episode as another way to further how insidious Gul Dukat is and how insidious the Cardassians are. And it's not only that character that gets sacrificed in that, but it's also the consideration of what should actually happen to that character. We spent more time talking about what should happen to this kid than this episode spent talking about what should happen to this kid. Not what's going to happen to the kid, but what should happen to the kid.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, truth. Yeah.
1: That's the part where I think this episode lets me down. Fantastic acting, really good writing as far as the as far as the political stuff, but like, it, I mean, no real consideration of what ought to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, is life hard for this kid on? Is life hard for this kid on Bajor? I honestly don't get the sense that life is actually hard for this kid on Bajor. I get why you think it ought to be, why it could be. But then, I mean, with the exception, I'll put it this way. Vedic Wynne would have no use for this kid. <laughs> Vedic Burail would have open arms for this kid. Yeah. Colonel Day would have absolutely no use for this kid. His parents do. Mm-hmm. They have raised him to pray. They follow the prophets. And in following the prophets, they have love for this child, right? I I don't know what's waiting for him on uh, what's waiting for him on Cardassia, except for except for people who are willing to use him to their own ends, including the person who is um, who is his biological father, even if he hasn't been his father for uh, for the past eight years, through no fault of his own. It's just sure, sure. We're considering it more than the writers did, and that's the part that sort of disappoints me about this particular episode.
0: Yeah, no, it, it it's it, it ends with a mess. I I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, what's the message?
1: I think the message is sacrificed to move the story along. I don't know what the message is. I mean, that's 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 what I'm saying all the way through. I mm. mean, to me, any examination of message is is it's like miles learned to maybe not be a racist except miles has learned that two or three more times so i mean he's got a little bit of a gumbification thing going on right Mm -hmm. so i don't know that miles has learned anything because i would have thought that he had learned this back in tng (laughs) so um and then as far as as far as what as far as the message around the kid i honestly just can't say what about you
0: yeah no there's not a message around the kid there's not a message for Cisco or Gul or or Garrick or Bashir, it, it's, it, it just comes down to that scene with Miles uh, uh, after dinner. And, and that's, you know, the don't be racist message, which should be just clear and obvious. I, I get where you're coming from. That's not what the episode is about. But I think that's the message that is going to stick out from this episode. Um, but maybe the episode is sort of shooting itself in the foot.
1: No, I love that you saw what you saw. Honestly, I, I, I really love that it was there for you. That's fantastic. I'm not saying, I am not saying you're wrong at all. Um, I was, oh, really cause I know that, I'm not. <laughs> well, no, that's, I mean, and good for you. I was really hoping, honestly, you were going to say something that was going to make me go, Oh yeah. But you know, hey, sometimes, uh, you know, my favorite episodes of Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> we're the ones where they're like i loved it he hated it vice versa whatever anyway yeah. we, we both loved it uh, we just might not both agree
0: mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry please check out the roddenberry podcast network at podcast.roddenberry.com over there you'll find mission log mission log live women at warp priority one and the trek files if you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit
1: trekmovie.com. Next week, Malora. some of the music for mission log provided by warp11
0: online at warp11.com and from the album messages by key theory free to download at k i theory.com do caught mishka frogged. do caught mishka
1: frogd do caught mishka frog donticob nicks jest thought
0: Roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.
1: Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.